Welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel podcast. Today you'll be hearing from Pastor Ted Hill, the program director of the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute. He'll be teaching on the topic of the trustworthiness of Jesus. Share a little bit more of my story before we dig into parables and dig into focusing on the character and activity and person of Jesus. Jesus only. I have to learn the song. I remember uh, Christian teaching it at CLBI. That was so cool. But I have to remember it. Let's pray. (sighs) Jesus, we thank you that you call us to be set apart from our regular patterns and rhythms for you to capture our attention and draw us into you. We ask that as we get to know one another as we develop this short-term but eternal community. We give you thanks that we get to hear one another's stories. We get to be wide open to what you have for us. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, come invest yourself more fully and more deeply to us as we grow and learn and even experience some challenge and unsettledness because we want to know how completely trustworthy you are, how fully you know us and get us. You're never scratching your head about our thoughts or our decisions or our struggles or our joys. You you do not get confused at us. And we need to know that really deeply. So thank you that you find ways to communicate the richness of your word to us. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, I'm super excited to be here. It's been been just... uh, and, and, and it was kind of a strange experience because it wasn't 100% settled that I could make it here till about a week ago. I think it was Monday when I changed the flight so that I could go home the 7th instead of the 3rd and have to quarantine in Montreal for three days at my cost of $2,000. So, so it was last Monday that I switched that. So it was kind of like, I'm all in. I'm actually going. So uh, the revved up of being excited and, and, and being here, and, and it's already extraordinary, extraordinarily fruitful in, in spending time hearing some of your stories and talking theology on the dock with Russ last night. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that more, and it's so good. Let me tell you a little bit about my story, some of the things that God has done in me recently, in the, in the last few weir- years, some significant things. So I'll tell you uh, my story. Uh, I'll buzz through it relatively quickly. <laughs> 15 years old, uh, typical teenage kind of uh, uh, experience. Uh, anybody, if you have had a 15-year-old, there's probably some sort of conversation the beginning of this. Anyways, I come home and I want to go out with my friends or something like that. I don't remember really the details, but I remember the result. <laughs> it's very formational. So I want to go out with my friends and my mom said something like, no, you have to clean your room first, which it's probably fairly normal. I got really mad 
and really upset. And we were arguing and I stormed away and she chases me and I'm heading upstairs and she's chasing me up the stairs and my mom grabs my pant leg to stop me and I turn around and I slap her and tell her to F off. And not just the F letter, (laughs) it's like everything. And she did something really bizarre. She called the cops on me. (laughs) This is a small town, southern Saskatchewan, a little town called Oxbow, 600 people. And I was really into dirt biking. And we would always ride around town. And then when the cops would come, we'd head off into the valley and outrun them. It was our thing. So the police knew me fairly well. (laughs) Ralph Martin was his name. I still remember his name. That's like the 37, no, I don't know how long ago this. I'm 51, 15. Anyways, math is hard. Um, (laughs) And so Ralph Martin was his name, and he picked me up, and he took me for a drive. And I remember we were heading from Oxbow to Glen Ewan, and he said to me, you want to see how fast these cars go? (laughs) Sort of like 200 kilometers an hour to Glen Ewan. (laughs) And so he and and the other police officer was talking to my parents and getting the whole story. And long story short, uh, the police suggested that I go see a psychiatrist in Regina as to make sure I'm not psychopathic or anything like that. It wasn't a psychotic break. So I remember, uh, I think the following week, going up to Regina and doing the whole Rorschach ink blot tests and everything, and and I'm fine. It wasn't a psychotic break. There's no psychosis. But the psychologist said, a psychiatrist said that um, if uh, if if it would work better that my parents would try to find me a uh, private school or a residential private school to go to. And so long story short, I ended up at LCBI, the Lutheran Collegiate Bible Institute in Outlook, Saskatchewan. Anybody ever heard of it? (laughs) You you have? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so I went there for high school uh, for three years and God planted some significant seeds there. Uh, I didn't grow up in a church home. And, uh, and so <laughs> I, I'm a real math and science guy, so absolutely uh, loved uh, uh, algebra, trigonometry, calculus, we obliterated calculus in high school. It was so fun. And, uh, and physics was just a dream for me. So I was enrolled in uh, engineering at the U of S in, in Saskatoon. And at my graduation, this family in Outlook, Saskatchewan, the Anderson family, they gave me a grad card. Congratulations. And at the bottom, they said, we know you'll be a pastor someday. <laughs> and that was a ridiculous thought. And, you know, honestly, uh, I, was at, I spoke at my 25th high school reunion a number of years back and talked about this, and the Anderson family were there, and so we chatted about that, and, and they, remember, uh, they remember writing that card, and, and I really wish I still had that card. It would, it would be a dream of mine to, to have not thrown it away, but it was so stupid. Fast forward three years, literally, it was just a dumb thought to me. Um, uh, Fast forward three years, I'm in the end of my third year of electrical engineering, this is 1991, and I started to understand the the industry of of engineering, and I loved the creative aspect, I loved loved science and and, and just all of that stuff, but... (laughs) ADD and engineering tend not to fit together because you need to be meticulous, you need to be constrained. There's economic and time constraints that are very significant in the industry of engineering. And I go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, this doesn't fit. What am I going to do now? (laughs) And I was really kind of in a funk, uh, just kind of go, what did I, what am I doing with my life? And, and I remember it was, <laughs> uh, it was Monday, Thursday, 1991, April 4th, so just before Good Friday, 
and I'm, I'm going for a walk uh, by, by the river in Saskatoon and just kind of, ah, 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 what am I going to do now? And this grad card kept coming back to me all of a sudden. We know you'll be a pastor someday. We know you'll be a pastor someday. And I finally just stopped and I looked up at the full moon. God's not a moon, but that's where I looked. I said, God, you want me to be a pastor? And I didn't hear anything audible, but all of a sudden, this ah, went to, huh. And I remember taking two steps forward and going, wow, God wants me to be a pastor. I have really no idea who God is. I should probably get to know him first. <laughs> and I knew of CLBI because of the, there, was, uh, there was a connection between LCBI and CLBI. So I remember taking those two steps and saying, I'm going to leave engineering and go to CLBI in the fall. And that's what I did. And... Uh, and so I was there for three years. I met my wife there, the Canadian Lutheran Bridal Institute strikes again. It's striking over there too. <laughs> they both went there. I, I had, oh, it was so good. I hugged them big time last night, Christian and Molly. They're getting married in uh, how many weeks now? It's, it's just under two months or two months today. You're getting married August 28th, right? Oh yeah, you're the 28th. I'm going to get those backwards forever. Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> so good. And so CLBI was just significant to me in the, the cementing of this calling into pastoral ministry. So I spent three years there and then um, did some Bible camp ministry in the summers. And then I started in doing youth ministry at a church in Edmonton. Um, and, then, um, and then I went to Southern Saskatchewan and served in a small two-point parish in East End, Saskatchewan for six years, and then came up to uh, Asker and Calvary, just south of Camrose, where CLBI is, and served there for 17 years. Now, I have a quick question for you that leads very importantly into what God has done recently. What's missing in the typical picture of the pastoral ministry? What's missing in my story? What's that? Seminary, yeah. I didn't go to seminary, and this has been the source of a lot of shame in my life, and it's quite rare that you serve 23 years in parish ministry without going to seminary, <laughs> right? How many of you ever had a pastor that didn't go to seminary? Oh, you did? Okay, some people do. Yeah, <laughs> it's relatively rare, and um, God started working on me in 2001, um, kind of five years into, six years into full-time parish ministry. How many of you guys know a guy named Paul Anderson? I know uh, Russ knows Paul. Anybody else know Paul Anderson? International Lutheran Renewal. Uh, at that time, he was uh, the director of it. And he was doing this thing called the Timothy Project. And I was down in, uh, oh, where's the dam in Montana? It's a big dam in Montana. What's the town near it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> anyways, there's a Bible camp there. And I'm trying to think of the name of the Bible camp near the town. But anyways, uh, Paul Anderson invited me to join him on this Timothy project where he would bring young pastors. And, and I, remember, I remember him saying to me in a, in a prayer time that he, he got this very specific word from God to me. Um, and, and, and this word was, Ted... You think that your cabbage of the vegetables, you're, unless you really like cabbage, but I, I don't, which is funny. So it's kind of this secondary, second-rate, uh, rarely eaten vegetable. 
And, and, and God's here to say that, no, you're not. You're not second rate. You're not a nobody because uh, I haven't gone to seminary. And, and that was very significant because in our prayer time, then God gave me, I think this was the first time I ever experienced one of these, I call them pictures from Jesus. Uh, some people say visions, but that sounds too biblical. And, <laughs> and it's just that. But all of a sudden, as, as, as we were praying, I got this picture of this cartoon boot about to step on the cabbage. And, and not to step on me, but to just kind of dismiss and crush that second rate um, thought about myself in ministry that God had legitimately called me and he is, he is shaping me and training me the way he wants to. And then fast forward to uh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I have the privilege of doing is that I, I work with the Family Resource Center in Wetasco in uh, Alberta and wh- what I, I'm part of is I'm a facilitator for a family violence treatment program. And so I work with, with men who have been uh, charged for using abusive behaviors in, in their intimate partner relationships. And one of the things that we go through is shame, dealing with shame. Because shame is such a significant thing in so many people's lives, especially those who have made significant mistakes. And so I started learning a lot about the nature of shame. And, and God began to remove this from me. And so it was most summers that I would speak at a Bible camp and, and stories would come up and invariably the question would be, where'd you go to seminary? And I would just sort of go, nah, I didn't really go to seminary. I'm not a real pastor. And, and so I really struggled with that uh, until I think, it was, I think it was three years ago this summer, I was preaching at a family camp at uh, Hastings Lake and somebody asked me that. And I just went, let me tell you a cool story. <laughs> And it wasn't that, there wasn't that kind of that pit of the stomach feeling like I'm just kind of worthless sort of kind of guy. It was, let me tell you a story about what God is up to. So that is a fascinating aspect of who I am and how Jesus is shaping me. And it's been really, really important to me. So once in a while, shame shows, throws the talons into my life and the sting of shame shows up. Especially, <laughs> I think I was telling this to Russ last night or something like that. Uh, especially when I, I want to prove myself and sound smart. <laughs> and I do that every once in a while. And shame will sting me a little bit. So you might notice when that happens. So I'm very thankful that God has, on me, has me on a very interesting and intriguing journey. So that's a little bit about me. Coffee time? No. <laughs> so good. In your booklet, I want to look at parables, miracles, and challenges of Jesus. Parables have become extraordinarily important to me uh, in terms of the way that Jesus uses them to get my attention. He breaks in. In here, I've written a few things that I want to uh, go through. I want to talk a little bit about Jesus every day for two and a half hours. Um, but this is it's a couple of things. I'll just read this quickly, and you can read along with me. Uh, the moment Jesus opened his mouth in parables, something was planted in all hearers. There's an invitation to know Jesus and his kingdom activity. Every time those parables are spoken and read. 
The parables of Jesus open us up, not simply to an encyclopedia of moral teachings, but a living and active truth, always drawing us to himself. That's his goal. Sometimes it's subtle, slow, and even subversive coming up underneath. But it is always Jesus drawing us to belong to him, to belong to him in his kingdom. And so as we read some of the parables in Luke, let us ask, how's Jesus messing with me? That's our major discipleship question at CLBI. How's Jesus messing with you? Because he does. <laughs> and the fact that he does makes him the most trustworthy. If Jesus just said, you're all right, don't worry about anything, you're good, I love you, go on your way. That's not good. I want him to mess with me. It's kind of like whenever my wife confronts me about how uh, some of my parenting activities are not really that good, you know what I immediately do to kind of push myself away from that? I go, I'm a hundred times better than my dad was, so leave me alone. Do you think Jesus does that? Do you think Jesus says, Ted, yeah, good point. You do a lot of things better, so don't worry about changing anything else. Do you think Jesus would say that? Of course not. So he is messing with us because he's shaping us and he knows what he's doing. <laughs> That's why he's so trustworthy. So let him mess with you. Uh, this week. Let him mess with you as we read the parables, especially the ones we think we know. <laughs> Two of the three that we'll look at in a few moments. <laughs> I just realized I'm not going to get through uh, all of this very easily. We might speed read. Um, Two of them we know well, parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of, I'm going to change it. We call it the prodigal son, but that's really not a good title. It's the parable of the two lost sons. There's two lost sons in that parable, and we'll get to that. You may know that already. Um, and then Luke 14 is just really a really subversive, challenging thing that Jesus is teaching me a lot right now. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But I want to talk about a, a little bit about the character of Jesus with two, and here, here's where the shame talents can come in. I want to talk about two of my favorite Greek words. I don't know Greek very well at all. <laughs> Uh, I know how to use resources, <laughs> but my two favorite Greek words right now are splunk. Nitsumai, right, Molly? <laughs> I say that all the time at CLBI. And ekbalon, which is a new one for me. Splunk nitsumai, it means compassion. It's translated in English as compassion, but splunk nitsumai is a funny word, actually. The splunkna is your guts. Or womb, even. A womb is a splunkna. Your guts is a splunkna. And splunknitima is the action of wrapping your guts around. <laughs> what an image, eh? <laughs> I want to wrap my guts around you because I have compassion for you. But it is it's the, the seat of the emotions was the splunkna and the activity of wrapping your emotions. Move deeply. And that's what moved Jesus a lot. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus had compassion on them. He saw the people, and he had compassion on them, splunknitsumai, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees them. He saw them, and he was moved incredibly deeply. And we see oftentimes the activity of Jesus is born out of compassion, splunknitsumai. And he wants us to be moved that way too. And that's a challenge sometimes. Later on, you'll hear some of the, later on this week, you'll hear some of the stories about me being challenged uh, to have compassion or mercy on my son-in-law because <laughs> it can be challenging sometimes. I kind of hinted at that last night with the kicking motion, right? 
<laughs> Anyways, Splunk Mitsumai. And the other word um, that uh, I've recently just fell in love with is the, the word ekbalon, which it's fascinating because um, in Mark's gospel, uh, early on when, when Jesus was baptized, and then the Holy Spirit, and Mark says, he was driven out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And the word driven is ekbalon, which means thrown or cast out. But here's the key thing. It also means to bring forth or produce. It's two very opposing meanings, but both of those are in the action of Christ. And we see that word also in Matthew uh, 21, when Jesus is coming into um, the temple, and he flips over the tables, and he ekbalons the money changers. He casts them out. What happens after he casts them out of the temple? There's something extraordinary that happened. The blind and the lame came to him, and he healed them. And then the children ran around and sang hosannas and drove the church leaders nuts, <laughs> the temple leaders nuts, <laughs> when they told him to tell the children to be quiet. He said, no. <laughs> no, I don't have time for another story. Okay. <laughs> so there was a casting out and there was a bringing forth, a producing. He, he cast out, threw out the barriers that were in the way between people and God. He removed them and brought forth healing. This is what Jesus does. And that's why his word can be unsettling because he's gonna be removing some barriers. He wants to do that so that we can draw near. We can draw near. I can't remove those barriers. He needs to. And then we can experience his healing and his presence and his calling in our lives. Splongnitsumai, ekbalon. Great words. So, Remember those throughout the week. So good. All right. Let's talk about Luke 10 for a little while. Um, the, the context of Luke 10, um, one of the things at CLBI that we do is this, this online discipleship ministry called The 72. Molly was a leader last year. She did so amazing. They would never be done by nine o'clock because they were always talking so deeply. It's so good. Um, and, and it's amazing how significant amount of vulnerability and connection and, 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 and goodness that can come from that. Yeah, like we had in our group, right, David? It was so amazing. It was such a gift. And this is called the 72. Jesus sent out the 72 out uh, ahead of him into these towns. And they did all kinds of ministry. So that's just happened in, in all of this. And then there's something significant um, um, kind of at the, just before the parable of the Good Samaritan, I'm just going to read from verse 21, um, and, then, and then we'll read the parable, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. So they returned, and they were joyful because things happened. <laughs> and Jesus gives this incredible phrase, don't rejoice because the demons obey you. Um, rejoice because your names are written in, in, in heaven. And so that's, that's really powerful. And then, yeah, go ahead. Right, I said kingdom workers. Regular kingdom workers. Regular kingdom workers. Yeah. So he didn't put them up and he didn't put them down. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and he will never put us down. 
Yeah, and he doesn't raise us up in pride either. Yeah, that's very profound. What's your name again? Kirk. Kirk. Thanks, Kirk. I'm looking forward to this interaction. Keep going. Um, so in the same way, in, in the same hour, Jesus, or same hour, he rejoiced in, in the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase. And said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, and this, and this is important about what I want to talk about with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Seeing is important. That see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now we have the parable of the Good Samaritan that we know well. Let's pretend we don't know it. And let's dig in. So right after that, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? (laughs) Not just what is written, how do you read it? And he said to him, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your minds and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now what prompts the parable is really key. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, man, who is my neighbor? I don't know how he said it, but I sometimes make up tone of voices and try to think about, well, how do he say it? And who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, <laughs> like only Jesus can. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers, stripped him, and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, this is intriguing because they're in Samaria. By chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and it's interesting the phrase Jesus uses here, as he journeyed, It wasn't by chance, is how I interpret that. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. He saw him. Blessed are you who see what you see. He saw him, and he had splunknitzumai on him. (laughs) His guts went out to him. The very heart of his being went out to him. He didn't just say, oh, what a mess. I better clean it up so that my neighborhood doesn't look bad. 
No, he had compassion on him. Everything went out to him. And he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. It's interesting how uh, Luke says his own animal. It's important these words are. His own animal. And brought him to an inn. And he didn't drop him off there. (laughs) He took care of him. Stayed overnight. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave, him t- and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This level of commitment there, isn't it beautiful? And so Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Mercy. And he said to him, you go and do likewise. Now it's always fascinating. This man wanted to justify himself by knowing who his neighbor was. And Jesus teaches him to be a neighbor, not to find out who your neighbor is. So the key is what Jesus is doing in us, to be a neighbor. To see. We want to see others with a love that is willing. That is really important. How willing are we when we see people? When God brings people into our path like this man uh, experienced on the road to Jericho, when God brings people along, how willing are we to see with love? That's a big one. How many of us have a very busy life? (laughs) Don't put up your hand. (laughs) The pandemic was a little less busy, but we couldn't connect with people easily. So (laughs) it's very different anyways. But I think a lot about what it means to be available when God brings people along. How willing are we to see people with love? And do we see others with a love that is willing to serve? More than momentarily. I'm always really willing for 15 minutes. <laughs> my willingness is huge for 15 minutes. Kind of like my parenting. I was the best parent for 15 minutes. And then I'd want to find an excuse to leave. <laughs> I would love to play Lego for 15 minutes or draw in color. Or My daughters never really did Barbies. Maybe they did. I don't remember. 15 minutes. I was totally willing. And then I become very unavailable quickly. And God is still working on that. (laughs) And to see one another with a love defined by mercy. Defined by mercy. How do you see people? How do you see people? That's a really important question. I I want you to think about... um, uh, both honestly and ideally, how you see people. I want you to think on that for a moment and think about the people that uh, Jesus has brought to you lately. I'm going to invite us in a few moments to break up in small groups to talk about that. Uh, I haven't devised a way to break us into small groups quite yet. Uh, I'll, I'll, Russ is smart. You devise that way while I'm telling some stories. <laughs> He'll get me back tonight for something. <laughs> Shoot! <laughs> I want to tell you a few stories um, about how I've seen people lately. 
and uh, think about how you see people, both honestly and ideally. And, and um, it, uh, for me, it starts about two years ago. Um, part, of the, part of our discipleship uh, program content this last year was using a book by a guy named um, Greg Finke, uh, uh, Missouri Synod pastor. He's in, he's, in, oh, he's in Minneapolis. Where is he now? Oh, I wonder if he is in Minneapolis proper. I should phone him. I'd like to meet him in person. I've just met him on, on Zoom. Anyways, he wrote a book called Joining Jesus on His Mission. And it's really about asking Jesus, what are you up to, Jesus? And then join him on that. <laughs> we don't kind of define uh, what we think Jesus should be doing and go and do it for him. We don't go on mission for Jesus. We go on mission with Jesus. And so this, this whole idea of paying attention to what's going on around you, what's Jesus up to? And I, I remember, whoops, sorry. I remember uh, being at uh, Canadian Tire. What would be the American Canadian Tire equivalent? What's that? It's a little different than Walmart, yeah. Goodyear? Oh, really, eh? Fleet Farm? Okay. There. <laughs> I'll have to find a Fleet Farm and, 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 and evaluate that. Yeah. Good deal. <laughs> uh, what's that? Nice. Somebody drive me there. Sweet. Okay. Then we'll then we'll ratify this 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 analogy connection. Doesn't matter. I was in Canadian Tire, <laughs> and uh, I was finding some nuts and bolts in one of the aisles. And then there was this this guy that. And this was early on in in the beginning of the pandemic. I'm trying to think if we were wearing masks or not. I don't think we were even wearing masks yet. Anyways, um, he stops me and he starts talking all kinds of uh, conspiracy theories. And I was just kind of like, uh-oh. And I was kind of leaning away really quickly. And it, it was kind of like Jesus said, Ted, I'm up to something in the aisle. Oh, darn. <laughs> I turned and I listened to this guy for quite a period of time. And, and it, it, he was he was bat beep crazy. Um, but Jesus halted me there. And when I realized how important that was in that moment, and, and Jesus was teaching me how to see him differently, because just as uh, he kind of ended the conversation, thankfully, because it was kind of that temperament that just wants to keep talking forever, uh, like me. <laughs> Don't! Um, and, and so he kind of ended the conversation, and, and, and I said, see you, thanks. thanks for sharing that. And he said this, thanks for listening to me. And, and I realized that that was a confirmation that Jesus really was up to something there. It was probably more in me, but obviously he did something there because <laughs> I took it that nobody listens to him. <laughs> and, and we need to be listened to. Even if we're kind of nuts, we still need to be listened to. That's, that's a major kind of central core human need to be seen and heard. And so that was really important. So learning how to see people. In my neighborhood, um, uh, I've started to get to know people. I'm a motorbike guy, so I connect with some of the motorbike guys really quick. And there's more motorbike guys than you think. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was pretty fantastic. And I was walking down uh, the street one time, walking my dog, and this one gentleman who's, I'd never seen him before. He's never outside. And he was outside working on his yard. And his name's Ziggy. He's a really large man, but his name is Ziggy. And I just love the fact that his name is Ziggy because I've never met a Ziggy before till now. And uh, we had a great conversation and, and talking about life. And he's a motorbike guy. Yeah, I've never seen him on his motorbike, but he's a motorbike guy. And so we chatted 
for a few minutes. And so Jesus is teaching me how to see people, how to pay attention to people, how to connect with people, how to join him on his mission, how to see with a willingness. And the sense of willingness was confronted probably about a month later. My doctor also lives um, just up the street from me, which sounds kind of funny. I have quite a small house. It's like about a 1,000 square feet. Molly's been in my house. It's a pretty tiny house. Uh, But just up the street, uh, there's a huge cul-de-sac with massive homes, million-dollar homes just up the street. My doctor lives up there. So it's kind of like, have you ever watched Downton Abbey? How many of you guys? Any? Whoa! Oh, it's okay, one. Whoa, I think I'm... Okay, good. I think we might have to leave if nobody else is... Oh. <laughs> I know, I love Downton Abbey. <laughs> so good. Anyways, um, and so I live in kind of like the servants' quarters to the, the, the big house up the street. <laughs> That's what I always think about that. Anyways, so my doctor, uh, he's... And he's a Christian man, and we, I always try to get the, the appointment. It's usually quick for me, just a prescription refill. Uh, and I always try to get the end, because we always talk for like 45 minutes, and I never want to do that to people. <laughs> because how many of you have been to the doctor and had on time and waited for an hour before you saw the doctor? <laughs> I, I, I can be that guy that keeps the doctor. Anyways, so my doctor and his wife are walking the dog, and, and I'm coming back, walking my dog, and stopping to talk to Ziggy. And, 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 and I was doing some calculation in my mind. How do I end this conversation with Ziggy, put him aside, so that I can talk to my doctor on the street? And that was just like, oh. And I, and I didn't notice that till afterwards. <laughs> uh, Jesus didn't confront me on that till afterwards. How willing was I to see Ziggy at that moment? Not very and so something needed to be shaped in me. I need to see. This man on the road saw this. this the, the Samaritan saw this man on the road. He saw him and had compassion on him. At that moment, I didn't see Ziggy anymore. I only saw an opportunity to meet with my doctor and be seen on the street with Dr. Johannes Brand. And, and, that's, and that's, that's significant to, to wrestle with. And the key thing is Jesus didn't shame me in that confrontation. He just opened it up and begins to shape me to see people differently, see people with mercy, the love that's willing, and a love that serves. How do you see people? How do you see people ideally? How do you see people honestly? Let's break up into groups and share a couple of stories of how you see people with one another. Okay, how are we gonna break them up? You got an idea, Russ? See, see, pro. Thank you for joining us today on the Mount Carmel podcast. We hope that you'll join us again for the next episode when Ted continues his teaching series on the trustworthiness of Jesus.